Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owitari Dorgan, and with me is a man who loves grape jelly. Oh, oh, do I love grape jelly. Actually, no, fun fun fact about me, not, not fun at all. Uh, grape <laughs> jelly was the only jelly I would eat uh, until I was probably 15 years old. Uh, really? You wouldn't eat, like, a, a strawberry jam no, or anything like there that? There's no strawberry jam, there's no orange marmalade. Uh, Are you? It's grape jelly. It's the only jelly in my life. Suffer from any, I'm gonna say, mild mental disabilities that wouldn't allow you to deal with changes in your in your everyday like lifestyle, <laughs> such as trying a different jelly. Try to be thing. really, really delicate here. No, here's the thing about that, Pat. I, I've I've sometimes wondered myself. I've never been diagnosed with anything. I've never really given the opportunity to be diagnosed with anything. Uh, it is not so much that I cannot deal with change or that I will become uh, violent or catatonic in response to change, but I would still rather not have to deal with change. Okay, so you're just a normal person. So I'm just a normal person. Because everybody's like that. <laughs> it's just I just find yeah. that really funny. That, that was, that's really weird. Also, yeah. p- point of note, the blob's not actually made of jelly. No, 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 it's not. But he looks like jelly. grape jelly. So He does look... Quite a bit like red, especially by the end. It kind of made me hungry. They keep adding more red every time he works, every time he kills anything. Right. And like, I I don't know why I'm I'm personifying it. uh, Come on now. Let's come on, man. The rape culture. Come on. (laughs) And now I'm just using terms I don't really know what they mean. We're being heteronormative in in describing the blob as, as a he. Um, but so honestly, I if I had to choose, I would re- prefer it not to be described with my gender. <laughs> I suppose that's true. It is the bad guy, so we can't arbitrarily deciding on a sex word is is really. Should we the do? Problem, should we do the thing and say they? Uh, the the, well, the, the, the non-committal they. No, no, no. It's the obviously a, alive. Yeah. So we can't do it. Well, it's can be alive. It's just it's gender neutral. Okay. It is gender neutral. Okay, they is also it is gender neutral, but if you use it for a person, it's bad. Okay? Yeah, I know that's confusing. <laughs> but they is gender neutral too. Don't start calling call people it. it. Uh, do not call people it. So this week we are talking about 1958's *The Blob*, uh, directed by Ergen S. Yeaworth Jr. What a name! Uh, his, what a name! Uh, his uh, his production company principally uh, did uh, uh, inspirational and religious short films. Uh, he was obviously really? outside of the the main Hollywood system, so this is an indie film in the same way that uh, Herc. Uh, oh, what's Herc's last name? The, uh, Carnival of Souls, oh, an indie um, horror film coming from from kind of the same background. Herc, uh, Herc, whatever his last name was, uh, did. Uh, I don't remember. He was doing religious and uh, uh, industrial safety films. So wait a minute, they both um, came from like oh, because that was just they like, both who came would from short pay, film backgrounds. Right? Like, you know? Yeah, they weren't like 
big. Yeah. They were you just making the, religious films because that's the groups that would pay them money to make short. Yeah, films, probably. Right? Okay, probably. Gotcha. Probably. I don't. I don't think they were necessarily. Well, because it's a weird jump to go to like weird horror from yeah. religious if your convictions are. I think so. Highly religious, right? Yeah. I mean, the blob. The blob's a weird movie in a lot of ways, anyway. But, uh, but uh, we can. Oh well, yeah, your original that. introduction was supposed but. to be "Man Who Loves Driving Backwards," but I forgot. <laughs> well, I also love driving backwards. If, whenever I drive, I drive. You backwards. drive backwards, just, and then like have a really awesome. stuttering explanation about things. Yes. Uh, this is speaking of the man driving backwards. This is Steve McQueen's first starring role, uh, and he and, was originally signed. <laughs> He was originally signed for a three-picture contract uh, that uh, fell apart because everyone hated working with him. And I would say it's kind of a miracle that it wasn't his last film. Yeah, well... Uh, because it is... I have this wow. great quote from Steve McQueen on the subject. Uh, he actually only took three grand. Uh, he figured that the movie would not make any money. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, so he took the cash instead of the percentage. Um, but uh, but here, here's this great, great quote I found from Steve McQueen on, on the subject. The main acting challenge was running around bug-eyed, shouting, Hey, everybody, look out for the blob. I wasn't too thrilled when people would tell me that what a fine job I'd done in it. It's understandable. Yeah. Apparently, did he apparently did it as a kind of method acting, right? Uh, well, that wouldn't surprise me. Steve McQueen being a great actor of the time, he probably did, did some method acting in preparation for it. Um, well, yeah, but I'm trying to imagine... I don't know what, what sort that of looks like, but I was reading do. somewhere. I read that like it, he was doing method acting for this. And I'm just yeah, like, I don't know. what would that be? I really have no idea what that would entail here. Um, it also stars Anita Corsad uh, in her first uh, first named role in any film. Uh, one of only like five films that she was in. Period. But she would later play uh, Helen Crump. The school teacher Andy Griffith dated through most of the series of the Andy Griffith Show. Oh, so essentially the same character. Uh, yeah, a lot of ways the same character. <laughs> Just a grown-up version of that character. Um, but yeah, so so you might recognize I, her. I feel like we, not, we run the risk. I run the risk specifically of just turning this into two guys talking about feminism. The podcast. <laughs> But so like, you know what I mean? Because like, it comes up a okay, lot. So, so obviously, this just really the blob quick. does not pass the Betchel test. That's true. No, that's um, uh, let's just leave it at that. But man, <laughs> that man, what a character! She just yeah. has nothing going on. She really doesn't. Well, I well, I, I guess hmm. technically, I mean, she's got the dog. She does protect the dog, and they they jointly protect uh, her little brother. Right. Um, she, I really like actually the intro, the introductory scene with the two of them, uh, where, where they're out there and she's really incredulous that he doesn't want to just make out or whatever. Right. And, uh, and, and he's, he's just going on about the, he's like really obsessed with astronomy and that's, that seems to legitimately be the only reason. Right. Which was really weird. Yeah. Like, and not because there. like fine whatever but like it's just it was just a really weird scene yeah yeah and then she's and she she doesn't she certainly doesn't believe him but not not in a way where like if that scene were if that scene were played today and he was legitimately even if he was wanting to be character if if he was characterized legitimately just interested interested in the stars 
uh, she would be played as, like, begging him to take advantage of her or something. Right. Um, well, but that's but, kind of the weirdness. But she's not either, you know. It's, they're just, they're both, it's, they're both very wholesome Right, characters. right. And that's, I guess, what made it kind of uncomfortable for me is there's, like, no tension between them. Exactly. It's and, like, and it's not, it's not necessarily uncomfortable for me, but it's just a weird... Yeah, weird no, no, I'm not going to say uncomfortable. It's not it's something. It's kind of like, what? These it's two certainly people not. just happen to be in the same room. Yeah, it's not a way that's... <laughs> in a lot of ways, Steve McQueen's acting in this. <laughs> yes, like he yes, just happens, like, to be he happens to be there. <laughs> yeah. Like, he just woke up and he doesn't know where he is. Like, <laughs> like what, what? He's not even acting. He's just... He's just really confused. It's not like he's disconnected. Somebody but, gave him wrong yeah, directions for really... getting back on the highway and the movie got made. <laughs> oh, there's cameras. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I should do something. Why was I driving backwards? Yeah, like I, I, so I guess in a weird way that's it did a for playing the character this character that doesn't make sense. He did a really good job of playing this character that doesn't make sense because um, it's very he's very believably befuddled. Yeah, yeah. Actually, on a on a feminism front, uh, since we since we started since, we, on that since note, you know feminism, uh, two guys talk about feminism. Right. The bias, yes. Uh, principal screenwriter on this was a woman named Kate Lenaker. Uh, Kate Lenaker is what she wrote under. Um, she'd been in uh, many a B movie, um, though her last had been in 1945. This came out in 1948. Wow, early. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, given McQueen does seem really confused in a lot. Yes, but, but I think I think I think the characters here are they're certainly more complex than they need to be. Yes, also um, true. Like he's he's this super intelligent stargazer who would rather look at the stars than than make out with a girl. But he also, like his motivation is really understood. He really just doesn't want anyone to get hurt, right? You know, and he doesn't care who they are. He he wants to save right. Everybody. He's hyper wholesome, yeah. I guess, in that way. And like even even the cop, the cop who doesn't like teenagers. He doesn't just not like teenagers because they're teenagers. He doesn't like teenagers because his wife was driving on the highway and somebody so buzzed deep. her. And and so so he he writes them all off because he had bad, his wife had a bad experience with one and almost died. <laughs> right in 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 that weird way, there yeah. the characters are almost too real. They're almost they're almost too real for a too B complex. movie. For a B movie, yeah, that that is certainly true. But you know, credit credit to her writing for that. Um, the downside of that, though, is it actually slows the pace down of the movie to be not really a thriller. Yeah, because we well, spend that's, so that's much that's time true. like character building. <laughs> We're like, that wow, this is really slow. There are problems with this movie, and, and slowness is one of them. There are great things about this movie. And I think the, the the color stock and and the characterization are both both wonderful right the, the color so vivid the special effects leave something to want sometimes but then they're really great other times well but like honestly like dealing with the situation at hand and like probably whatever the budget was i would say i thought i i was expecting to go into it like pulling that kind of like snarky laughing at the special effects thing i was yeah. fine with it yeah I uh, I did I tweeted this when I was watching it, uh, but I was completely on board with this film as soon as that theme song started. Yeah, which by the way, I apparently it is the um, it is the going notion that it is Burt Bacharach, but it's not. I well, it was it's the going notion that is what put Burt Bacharach on the map. 
But, but he, he, he did write it. Well, he did write it. He co-wrote it. He co-wrote it with some talk about that. If there is talk that. about that, I did not get to get into that talk. Uh, the information I have was that he co-wrote it with uh, uh, not How David, but How David's older brother, uh, Mac David, is what it says. Mac. But Mac the, David. I also uh, read and How and Mac both wrote that it actually wasn't either of them. No, well, the, 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 the Mac David fine. absolutely did do it, but the Burt Bacharach had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Well, Burt and, Bert and Howe were co-writers for, for a long time. Um, yeah, uh, okay, so and, though the legend has it that the opening novelty too. song was composed by a young and unknown Burt Bacharach along with Howe David, Burt's famous songwriting partner, Bacharach had already achieved some measure of success by that time. Well, yeah, that's what released, that's saying. And the lyrics of the song were composed by David's brother, Mac. Well, yeah. I read somewhere else though. There's a kind of implication that like it really didn't. You know what I mean? Like, well, there's there are my some interpretation of that sentence, which are, that it, my interpretation from that sentence, which you're pulling off Wikipedia, cider right. um, sources. Uh, is I, that, I don't uh, need to. Everybody knows we're on Wikipedia. <laughs> is that is that Burt Baccarat and Mac David co-wrote the song, but but it wasn't. The legend that it's the the song that made him famous isn't true because he had he had previously written some some work that had right. But I had also read somewhere um, else. It's possible just that, somebody's that, blog, that, I think, but that implied that it was kind of even more less to do with Bacharach at all than yeah. that. Well, the uh, the, the criterion like information of it. All of the information from Criterion certainly cites. Um, Certainly, cites Burt Baccarat and Mac David having written it. Mm, uh, so though, maybe it's just somebody's wrong. Though at least one of the essays actually does also say how David and we can't really, you know, these right. are just film scholars. They're not necessarily people going out. In you know, sometimes they're not even film scholars. Right, and so I mean, like, it's not so. super important, but the song is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, well, the song is ridiculous and it's wonderful, and it's done. It's sung by one guy who layered his voice uh, and called himself the Five Blobs. Um, <laughs> It's wonderful. It, it actually it, it it charted. I don't know how high it got, but it did. It was. It's a very, pretty great uh, song. Very popular song. It's a very a pretty great song. It inspired a trend in horror films that probably didn't end up too greatly, but it also inspired. You know, it's it's very. It gets it gets played along with like uh, the monster mash and that sort of thing. Right. The horror. The the weird horror, horror comedy rock pop comedy. Songs. Stuff yeah. Here. Well, here's the weird that thing about it, is that yeah. in hindsight, it does a weird. Thing the one to weird the thing about it, <laughs> it, yes, it does a well. No, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, there's a lot of weird stuff, but yeah, I mean, it, it does a weird thing to the mood of the film because, yeah, in hindsight, because they said that I think on Wikipedia they mentioned, but it might be IMDb mentioned that they did that because they didn't want people to be too scared. Yeah, well, there is there is obviously an actual soundtrack to the film, and I'm sure the actual guy, the guy who did the actual music, which is all wonderful, and it's all right. wonderful on like a B movie horror stint too. You know, the movie is not played for camp. No, um, and, and that, the but only that thing it that gives makes the image of it's played for camp yeah. because of the nature of the opening yeah. song. Like you go into it thinking, like, are they screwing yeah. around here, or are they? And that serious? was a market. That was a marketing decision. You know, that was they. They wanted people to to kind of laugh at it, and that that's what made the movie famous, you right? Know? Um, but like for example, Kayla, the trailer does not give you that impression. Exactly. Like the trailer seems like it's a horror film. Like they talk about like it could be in the theater with you now and all this stuff, and then like, but you actually watch the movie and it opens with 
something that seems like it's we're watching maybe a comedy. Yeah. Also, it screws yeah, with my yeah. notion of like how, because like I don't know enough about that time period, about the notion of whether or not the people at the time can you have camp at that point. Oh yeah, no. I, right, think, I know I you think, can, but it's weird were... to think of it that way, right? Well, imagine. Okay, think about the movie that they were watching in the film. Mm. Exactly. These, this is a horror movie night, and these people are laughing at it because it's a right. And so it's hard son of, to, because son of Frankenstein or whatever. For film. me, having grown up when I grew up, I think of camp as the period portrayed in the Blob. Yeah, but yeah. for the people in the Blob, camp exists, and it's yeah already an established concept of oh this is so bad it's funny you know yeah. it's it's interesting to me it's just an interesting well i mean it's like thing to see in in a lot of ways the blob is kind of like uh the room of its day or or birdemic more specifically than the room i think because i don't think Earworth is as deluded as the guy who made the room um <laughs> but uh but you know this we made this film and uh, then we decided to market it completely differently because we made it as a serious product, and it's then we actually watched it, kind of silly. Mm, so let's market it as kind of silly, right? Yeah, it makes and sense. We'll it's just, it. it was just interesting for me because and I think, yeah, there's a Go kind on. of meta awareness of it that I yeah. didn't expect. Yeah, to see because I expected it to be to go in because when I think of camp for myself I think of things played for serious that are not that in hindsight are not don't come off that way but you know if you go back far enough right you end up with it still exists it's still like oh this has become a joke People have always liked irony. Yes. Right? And, 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 you know. Exactly, but it's hard to think of that. Because like when and you we think come, about it, right? we come and go as to we come and go as to how important irony is to pop culture, right? Yeah, certainly right now we're in a, an irony overload. Right. Um, and, and and it's hard to think that like this is a concept that was yeah. popular even at that you know. Yeah. And especially considering, you know, when you and I, when when you and I grew up uh, when Gen when Gen X hit the mainstream in the early nineties through the mid nineties, irony was, was really not where it was at in a lot of ways in a lot of culture. Right. Even down to the grunge movement was very was very much not not into irony in a lot <laughs> at least on its public face. Um you know, so we we've we've kinda we're on the opposite end of that spectrum now. Right. And and, and because I don't have the cultural awareness of the to, you know yeah. the, the late fifties, I have to just go based on like what you see portrayed on kind of primetime yeah. television and such, which is yeah. like the fifties as a hyper straightforward, yeah, pseudo like self unaware <laughs> period of time. Next week, next week we'll be talking about Fiend Without a Face, and Fiend Without a Face also came out in nineteen fifty eight, and Fiend Without a Face is very clearly meant to be a straightforward serious horror film, right? And it's patently ridiculous. Yes. Although I love it. Um, and we'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that next week. But things like Night of the Lupus, where it's giant bunnies invading, you know. Uh, these are these are things that are obviously crazy ideas that are meant to be jokes, and they're just running with them. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, if you play if you play something that's meant to be a joke completely seriously, it's even funnier, you know. That's, right. That's why Airplane is such oh, a hilarious gosh, movie. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean that's true. I mean, and and it's just and it's hard to tell because the difference, the line between playing something that's supposed to be a joke seriously to make it funny, versus playing something that's not supposed to be a joke but is poor, is not well done. Yeah, completely serious. That, that line is so blurry that it's inconceivable yeah. right yeah. like you can't and, and we've really blurred that line in recent years with things like the room right um which you know was filmed seriously was even marketed seriously and then everyone decided it was a joke and then the makers decided it was a joke right Whereas yeah. at least here with the blob kind of it appears the that kind of they thing. made it and before releasing it somebody said yeah this is a joke. joke yeah but like it's kind of weird because you know i don't want to bring up fiend without a face too much because yeah. it's gonna well i, really I think it, but there's so it, it certainly contrasts to right. this and we'll talk about this next time but it that one is not meant to be a joke but like yeah, how do you draw the line how did they draw the line how did the producer sitting in the, the in the in the studio say like no this one's a joke you know what I mean? Like, and decide that the blob was a joke because the blob is not well, any again, more. Again, I don't think than... the blob. I don't think the blob was filmed as a joke. No, no, no. But I'm saying he decided. Somebody in an office decided that this was not serious before it was yeah. released, and tacked on that theme song. Right, and said like, "We need a goofy theme song to launch this bad boy because it is not. It cannot be read as serious." But then you watch Fiend without a face, and we're supposed to read it as serious, but it is. As ridiculous as the blob, and and yeah. more poorly acted. <laughs> also true, and more poorly written. So it becomes like like wait a minute, how is that one not a joke? Wait, I mean I understand that they're both the the end result is that we take them both as kind of a campy joke. Yeah, but one one studio was self aware and said this is a joke, and one studio didn't. And I kind of, it's somewhat puzzling that that could happen. And I think it's even more puzzling that the studio that was self-aware was the one that routinely made films with Billy Graham. <laughs> right, right, yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff about that. But, like, it yeah. is in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Or, or wherever. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Actually, the town this was filmed in uh, still has Blob Fest every year. Yeah, I saw uh, that. It kinda, which I kind of want to go. Which includes reenacting the the movie scene or the movie uh, theater scene uh, in the movie theater that 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 it was filmed in. You got to admit uh, that would be a lot of fun. Just like hundreds of people running out of that theater at right, once. It seems like, like a good way to get to get yourself killed. I'm right? sure there are police and paramedics there. Yes. And I'm you know yes. I'm sure it's not really running out, right? No, no. But no, like you got to admit so. that would be fun to go to. I just think it would be fun because, like, it's just a bunch of people having some good nature fun, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, this—it's just a this movie. I kind of puzzled the entire time about how to read it. Yeah, and because I couldn't ever really commit to either it being a joke or not, and the pacing is a bit slow. Um. Because of various character development and the fact that the blob moves very slowly, um, but you know, overall, I mean, I liked it. It was enjoyable. I don't have a lot to say about it. I think I read on, I think probably Wikipedia how they filmed the, uh, the the how the the building getting covered scene involved yeah. a 
table with a gyroscope and a picture. Yeah. Is yeah. this getting covered? I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it's super fascinating how they did some of the special effects of the buildings getting covered. It's also super clear that that's what they were doing. Um, hey, we I particularly like. I particularly like the interior uh, where the uh, the bar stools seem to be like separate pictures mounted an inch out, but they're yeah. still very flat. Right. Well, you know, what <laughs> so are you going to do, right? It looks ridiculous. It's not like a model. It's really just flat images, uh, but they tried to make it look a little 3D, uh, and it, it fails terribly. Yeah, well, it's you still, know, what are you going to do? But it's right? wonderful because it fails terribly. Well, right, and then, you know, it was a very different time for practical effects, and Throw in the fact that, like, they were probably very low budget. Yeah. They're like, okay, well, we gotta figure something out. Um, the, the blob coming into various places, somewhat interesting. Although I find yeah. its, its growth pattern very confusing. <laughs> yes. Well, it gets bigger every time it eats something, and it gets redder every time it eats something. Right. Is but really my issue is, is that it becomes very rapidly bigger all of a sudden. Yes. By the time well, it's the on the diner, he's like, it's, it's probably eating 40 or 50 people, but it's the size of a diner. Yes. Whereas when it had eaten something like two people or three people, it was the size of, I'm going to say, um, what's a thing that was about that size? I would say about the size <laughs> of a small, uh, like a, a, a large dog. Yes. So what I'm saying is, is its mass is not proportional to the amount that it, eat, it consumes, which is confusing for me. Yeah, because it it very clearly when it eats that that mechanic is pretty small, but it has consumed the doctor and the old man. It's, you know, whatever nitpicks, right? But the point is, yeah. is it, it and then suddenly it's the size of a diner. Yes. Um, is one thing. Uh, fun fact, the blob is currently housed in a bucket, and they pull it out at Blobfest every year. Amazing. What was the blob? Well, it was originally no, it's a clear still the blob. silicon. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was originally a clear silicon gel that obviously they added more and red, more red dye to uh, as as it was... Uh, I bet it makes a hell of a mess. killed in the film. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's apparently very firm, uh, being silicon, uh, in order to get it to move at all, you have to superheat it under the studio lights. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, because if it were so, something that wasn't really firm, you would turn the studio lights studio lights on, and it would just become a yeah, puddle. it would just be liquid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's great. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess it was also modified. They used a modified weather balloon as well for for some of some of the scenes. Interesting. Where, would it need to be more physical? Um, huh. I imagine. I imagine the scenes of it coming out of the grating in the movie theater. Right, right. Might have, might have at first been the weather balloon. Right, right. That makes sense. Um. But, yeah. uh, what was I going to say about that though? Shoot, I lost it. No, I just lost my train of thought because I was thinking about um, just it issues that aren't really issues. With the film, as to like, for example, the fact that the blob's mass changes rapidly. Um, yes. Uh, but I, I can't remember what I was going to say. Although I find it funny, and I'm sure lots of people make this observation at this point. As long as the Arctic stays cold, 
Yes, yes. Has the, a certain the, level of, of the final unintended line irony that would at this be point. The most, the most hilariously ironic thing if this movie were made today. Uh, and just gets. Uh, well, also, it would be too on the nose. Right, yeah. Movie. You couldn't it make wouldn't be that. Funny. Couldn't it wouldn't be, be your statement because it would be too on the nose. Um, but yeah, where Steve McQueen's last line is, and they decide that it needs to be frozen, so they take it to the Arctic, and Steve McQueen says, well, I guess we're okay as long as the Arctic never melts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, it is. It's like, and then it goes like, the end, in the question mark, and it's like, that question mark is so much more poignant now than it was yes. when you made this movie. Um, well, it's very interesting, actually, that the uh, the sequel starts with the blob being released because an oil drilling company... Uh, wanted to get under the particular ice that it was in. Um, the sequel was also a much worse movie, but right, right. But it, it it takes that that sort of weird environmentalist message at the end and makes it makes it even more on the nose, right? But that um, that's and, almost taking and it also too far at that point, necessarily right? not purposefully, or not necessarily purposefully. You know, there was a one line, and I I didn't write it down, and now I'm really embarrassed. And I keep hunting for it. But like okay. um, the the main police officer says a line when they're about to like launch their attack or whatever that is just like oh I can't recall I've heard before it, oh, man it, I really wish I'd written it down because it's not online or anything I don't see it anywhere it's I I feel disappointed with myself because it was like one of those things where like did that come from this movie. Um, but it's it's gone. I, I maybe I'll find it in time for the next movie, <laughs> the next episode, which nobody will care at that point. But <laughs> that's true. No one. We just got to keep trucking along, man. We can't. We can't look back. Oh, here we go. It's not. Oh, you found it. There's nobody in here but us monsters. Oh, like I've heard that before. It's not actually the lieutenant. It's it's the sergeant. Yeah, but like that oh, has no. to have existed what? previously, at the, right? At the grocery store. At the yeah, grocery yeah, store yeah. when he's he's gone through and discovered that the blah, and he's he's trying to say the kids are dumb. Right, right. But that line is I've heard that before in other contexts. Man, that took a long time to find. Well, nobody here but us chickens is right. Okay, know, but I've heard people phrase. say it with monsters before. And it makes me think that somebody must have watched this movie and threw it into some childhood TV that I watched. Yeah. I'm sure you've run, run across it. You know, to... Right, because, I yeah, I know that there's nobody in here but us chickens, but, like, I've heard with monsters. So I think somebody either, you know, it must have found its way into some childhood cartoon Saturday morning cartoon or something like that, for me. Uh, that's all. That's that. That that's, that just that's one of the weirdest things. But it got that line got me. It, to me, that was very a very interesting thing to say. Yeah. And goes towards the fact that this movie is really interestingly written. Well, I think there's a lot of, like, really subtle jokes. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it, it's very, like, the movie's almost too deep for its own good, as far as, like, the way it's written. But it's also really silly. You know, even, even you know, before they, they decided to 
market as camp. It was a it was a fun movie. It was a funny movie. Right. Uh, like like when um when they're looking for the old man's house, and uh, Jane hears the dog barking, and she says, "I bet there's a house somewhere." And one of the other teenage guys says, "It doesn't sound like a house. It sounds like a dog." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's a legitimately yeah, funny lie. Yeah, there's a couple of like this, and there's funny situations like when they stumble upon the two people making out in the woods. Yeah, and there's this. Uh, the, I don't remember what he says, but there's this very kind of weird exchange, like when they when the two guys mooch or whatever stumble upon the the people out in the woods and stuff. It's just there's a lot of funny stuff like that in yeah. this movie. Um, I have to ask a question. I remember about my weird inconsistency that I was thinking about. Okay. How many people would you say are in this town? Oh man, uh, well, it's not very large, see. right? I mean, when they, have they when they wake. When they wake up everyone, and and they're all outside of the, the grocery store. And that's obviously just all the parents, because literally every teenager in the city seems to be in that movie theater. But there's almost as many people in the movie theater as there seem to be in that crowd. Uh, and you'd think there should be at least twice as many, right? Right, and um, so you got well, to figure half, that, like... Um, two and a half children per family, I guess it should be equal. But, but you got to um, figure that's not the whole town, because in movie no. world, right, like, it would be much yeah. larger than that... You had to that you you mentally have to add some some exponent to that to make it a functional town. Otherwise, it's a town of like two hundred people, which doesn't fly. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm thinking like two thousand, right? Between two thousand five thousand, probably like Lexington, Ohio yeah. size. Oh, and that weird scene where uh, just before they they all gather outside the grocery store. Uh, where uh, where that guy's trying to decide which helmet to put yeah, on. Yeah, that's so weird. Like, what is that? Like a dig on like? Well, you know, this old is vets this or is something. Movie. I don't know what it is. This is a movie. This is a very early film where the kids are right and the adults aren't listening, except for one, um, until it's too late. You know, and that's obviously that's obviously a trope now. But I don't think it necessarily was then. Now, look at the other horror films. It was all. The American government saves everyone, uh, right? Right. You know, a lot well, of them, and and in a weird, yeah, like the the it's a, it's a, the movie is vaguely anti-authority, right? Yeah, in that way. yeah. So I think I think that plays on that too, um, about the the disconnectedness of of the earlier generations to what's happening in the world now, um, and you know, there there's interpretations of this movie that talk about it being anti-consumerism. Yeah, I saw that. There's also uh, a possible. They also talk of it being an allegory for communism, but yeah, basically everything at that time is an allegory for. But yeah, you can you can talk about different, but at its heart, it's it's you know, the kids see what's coming. Yeah, I mean, there's the actual plot. The the actual plot is these people are so caught up in their ways that they don't actually see what's coming. Yeah, like they can't see the forest for the trees, right? And uh, yeah. But okay, so the reason I and brought can, that up, we can talk. We can talk about all kinds of different things that the forest might be, but we're still not seeing it. Right, they're still not seeing it because of who yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, now, the thing I I found, the reason I brought that up is there is an old man who lives in the woods that nobody fucking knows. Nobody Adam. knows at all. That yeah, is that not possible sense. in a town of two thousand people. That doesn't make sense. It really bothered me. Doctor's never seen him. Nobody knows, Nobody where, who knows where he is. this guy. It's not he like has he's super house. outside of town. Yeah. It's on the side of the road. I mean, like, it's not on the road, but it's in the woods off the road. He obviously must go 
into town. This, yeah, at this guy some has point. to interact with somebody. And yeah, and even if he doesn't, even if he's the weird hermit on the outside of town, he's still the weird hermit outside of town. Everybody knows he's there, Adam. They have to. <laughs> it is impossible for a dude to live that close to a town that nobody has any clue. You think who there he would is. have at least been stories about him? Right. There would have been like, oh, he must be the weird hermit outside of town. <laughs> yeah. Because places that have weird hermits, they everybody knows <laughs> about the weird hermit. Yes. So why does nobody know the old man? It bothered me so much. I mean, I let go of it because he becomes less relevant as the plot moves on. But he's very important <laughs> he for the first half less hour. relevant pretty quick. Yeah. yeah, but he's important for the first half an hour. Well, yeah, that is true. Because this is only, you know, this is a fairly short film. It's an hour and a half yeah, long. About, about and, 90 and, minutes. And, and, and I love that Steve McQueen's character is named Steve. Yes. I, that just makes it easy, right? So Steve spends the first half an hour trying to convince somebody. And yeah. and the old man who died is a key point on that that yeah. that scale, right? He takes him to the doctor and like he, he gets the ball rolling, right? Yeah. Like, but nobody like they knows could just who he is. take they could take the police officers to the old man's house and the old man not being there would be a major clue. You know, right. The, the older the hermit in the middle of the night is not home, but since nobody knows yeah. the old hermit they they yeah. can't do not that. Even, not even the police. But like that's impossible, Adam. Yeah. How can the police not know the crazy old dude who Listen, lives in man, the shack outside of town? It's plot important, and therefore it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it, it really that one threw me through a loop. I was like, no, yeah. I'm sorry, because even if we extrapolated out to its furthest extent, that maybe this town has five thousand people in it, still impossible. Yeah. We grew yeah, up in a probably. town of five, like we attended school in a town of five thousand people. Adam, if there had been a hermit, we would have known. Period. Yeah. So, just saying. And the police certainly would have known, because he yeah, would have been on their watch list. <laughs> I don't know if a lot of there were a lot of watch lists. Well, but well, in '58, the watch lists were a different sort of watch list, right? But like the, the creepy um, old dude who lives outside of town is on everybody's watch list. Especially yeah, but we don't police. have to worry about we don't have to worry about the creepy old dude who lives outside of town and doesn't talk to anyone but his dog uh, being a secret communist spy. No, we don't. So, but we do have to worry about him being a murderer, which is a thing that police in oh, general fine. are concerned with. Are you sure? Yeah, I think so. I think he would have been... So, I think they would have had his name. I imagine there was probably should have been a memo somewhere in that police station that says his name and a brief description. Yeah. Saying, you know, if anybody <laughs> dies in town... <laughs> you should go talk to him. Any kids disappear in the woods, see this guy first. Yes. Because he's creepy old dude who lives in the woods. Probably true. Probably true. Um. So yeah, though, no, just that that bothered that. I mean, it's, it had to happen, right, for the movie. But that's not an excuse. Yeah. Probably not. So, I don't have a lot else to say about this movie. Oh, they drop him in the Arctic with stock footage. Yes, I think that's pretty funny. The U.S. Air Force stock footage. I mean, that's always how do you call it? Got a little bit weird there at the end, like how they made that happen. How, how this guy calls what this this local local police chief uh, in Pennsylvania calls in a uh, um, just immediately calls in a cargo a, plane. 
A giant, like, C-130 or whatever. The U.S. Air Force C-130 in 1958. And then, like, what gets weird to me is... Talking about the militarization of police, man. Well, and he can do that, but the weird thing is also, is like, it it goes so deep. Is like, why did anybody believe him? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's the... The the, share, the 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 lieutenant of that town, but he like doesn't even like explain anything, right? And it's <laughs> like we need a cargo ship now, uh, but like a cargo plane now. But the thing is, is like it's also like nobody's incredulous towards his story. Yeah. If this like had been if this had up. been made it's now, not... like he would have had to go through the ringer to get anything to happen yeah. too. Well, if this had. If this had been made now, the military already would have shown up because the right, media and they would have quarantined would have it, up. and there would have been a gruff guy with yeah. a cigar telling people, "We know what yeah. we're doing." And yeah. then Steve McQueen would have to explain to him. Yes. Did they have to? And use ultimately, and Steve McQueen could still be the one who discovers that it hates cold. Of course, of course, no, that that's, that's use, part of it, for sure. It would have played. It would have played very differently. Right. The authority needed to be. They would have probably tried to nuke for it. the ending. The authority would have been higher for the end. Um, yeah, well, I get, sure. you know, uh, but that's the that, weird thing uh, is what makes this movie weird is that the primary authority buys his story pretty early, yeah. and pretty quick. Well, yeah, which makes it almost sort of that proto. The kids are all it makes the him, kids are right. Makes him, yeah, makes him good for that. And whereas the the primary authority authority kind of buys it, but the all his underlings don't. You know? Right, which makes it a very different film than it would be in today's yeah situation. Right, it would have been a it would have been a military general, and. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't have bought the story. One of his yeah. underlings would have, and yeah. then eventually it would have filtered out. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's remake the film <laughs> again. No, let's not remake <laughs> the film. Let's let the blob stand on its own merits. No, it's very uh, good. Because yeah. the people who tried to remake the movie and make sequels of the movie had failed terribly. They're all well. It's actually really a horrible idea. Movie. I mean, I don't know why anybody yeah. would try to do that. Well, I mean, to to remake the blob, you have to either remake it campy. Um, or straight, and again, and either way, know, if, it's going to be weird. Yeah, yeah. If you remake it straight, then it's just dumb. If you remake it campy, you're trying to grab. You're trying to capture an essentially yeah. ethereal concept, yeah, which is exactly. playing it straight, but it doesn't come out. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, it's it's the situation's gone. It could it could be done, but it'd be very hard to do, and I don't think I, I don't could I don't do it has it any interest in doing it. I I don't know that it could be done in a way that wouldn't turn out. Yeah. Even the people who could do it, it's still there's like an, a fifty fifty chance it would turn out very badly. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I mean, let, let, yeah, I, yeah. Just watch this movie. There's no <laughs> need to do anything else. I'm just saying. Yeah. I think we can pull this one to a close. Yes. I'm quite satisfied. Yeah. The Blob is great. Watch the Blob. Well. Yes. Watch the Blob. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's only a an fun, hour and a half. It's a it's fun, fun to watch. Film. With a really fun theme song, uh, Steve McQueen's in it, and it's wonderful. It has issues beyond the campiness. It it, yeah, I mean, but I mean, things that are not related directly to the campiness, you know, such as the pacing. If you're going to like dedicate that. yourself to 1950s horror films for an evening or something, stick with the Blob. Yeah, well, definitely. Like, and if you like, you know, if you like that kind of thing, you probably already have watched it. But if you yeah. haven't somehow, because I don't know, it is is a cult classic for all the right reasons. Right. So next week we'll be talking about Arthur Crabtree's Fiend Without a Face, another 1958 horror film. Um, this one out of the UK, <laughs> though it stars Americans and takes place in Canada. Oh, it's so, um, yeah, it's so international. 
Yeah. So so very white international. Yeah. Hey, you know, you take what you can get, right? So we'll see you next time for that. Thanks for listening once again to Lost in Criterion. See you next time. Lost in Criterion, a production of WithTwoBrains.com, hosted by Pat Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who also edits it down. Jonathan Hape did the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. Look for us on iTunes, or reach out to us at Facebook.com/LostInCriterion or LostInCriterion at Gmail.com.